Our next story is from a brave soldier in the Korean War. First name, Jose. Last name, Mares, M-A-R-E-S. Battlefield Commission, first lieutenant in the Army. I was born in a little cowboy town, Prescott, Arizona. And I figured there has to be something better than this. We got in trouble so bad that then by the time I reached the uh, age of 15, I had an alternative either to uh, go to prison or uh, join the military. And they sent me to uh, Korea. I think one of my brothers told me, don't get close to anybody. If you do, you might get hurt in the long run. But on the boat to Korea, he was with so many other nervous young men, it was hard not to make friends. Jose became especially close to a young man named Wally Walker. He was one of my best friends, you know, and somebody I liked to hang around with, you know. We landed in Pusan. I wanted to excel in what I was doing, so I took a lot of unnecessary chances. Jose was good at what he did. He was soon promoted to battlefield lieutenant and forward observer, which meant finding the enemy and directing artillery fire toward them. And Jose promoted his friends in order to keep them close. I got a hold of Wally Walker and I told him, I said, no, Wally, I want you to be my driver. And I says, uh, I'm not going to let you get in trouble. I'm, I'm going to watch over you and we'll go back to Chicago and have a good time like we used to. And then uh, one day we had to look at a big hill over there. So I sent Wally Walker, my friend, I said, now, don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be a short scrimmage. You'll come right back. Well, he didn't come back. So then we found out that uh, he was taken as a prisoner of war. Jose was crushed, but he couldn't stop now. He kept fighting with his unit until a couple months later, midway through his Thanksgiving dinner, he heard it. Trumpets, you know, and blowing of horns and whistles, and all of a sudden they started firing. It sounded like firecrackers. But the man right here to my left was shot right in the head, and the man to my right was shot in the chest. And I just jumped behind the log. This person seemed like he had some authority, and he hollered out, "Every man for himself." Now, to me, that was a bad decision. And I says, "All right, now you guys, let's stick it out. Let's just go out. Let's try to make it to our side." And we stayed north for about five days. I got these guys together and I said, now what we've got to do is that we're headed to our home. But if we see anything that needs to be destroyed, we need to do it just for the simple fact of doing it. We ran into a lot of ammunition dumps and we'd sneak down there and throw in hand grenades and things, you know, and just blow them all up. So we, we felt we did a lot there. But one day, it was uh, cold, it was snowing, but we were laying underneath its leaves, you know, on the side of the mountain. And these other guys were all covered up. And one guy had a real bad cough, and we just hoped that nobody would come by. But as fate would have it, uh, the Koreans come by and they heard him cough. So as they heard where he was coughing, they, they bayoneted him, you know, and they killed him there. And then they went to the other places where we were at, and they dug us all up, and they headed us down to camp. The Korean soldiers took Jose to a prisoner of war camp. But every day they would take us to uh, different types of interrogation, different tortures. They'd separate us sometimes and put us in cages. They took me out about, oh, I'd say midnight, and it was freezing. And this river was frozen solid. And they figured that one way they could get something out of me was to put me over there naked and get water and throw it on my head and on my feet until it crossed. I was too cold to say anything, but that was one of the worst things I had happen to me was that type of torture. 
After a few days, they, they tried to get so many things out of us and they couldn't. So what they did was got us all up with the guards and they walked us all the way down and they stopped by a little stream that was going by. I'll never forget this stream right here and they had us kneel down. Well, I'm blindfolded. There was a uh, one, two, three, four of us and I was the third person. The Korean came by to the first person and he asked him, he says, what is your name, your rank and your service number? And then all the guy did was just blare out his name, rank and service number. And the Korean put that pistol to his head and fired it. And uh, the blood, the pieces of bone fell over on the second guy and on me and on the other guy. And uh, the guy fell into the water. And I, I felt to myself, you know, I says, I love my country and I love what I was doing. I said, but I don't know if I could do that. They came to the second guy. And the second guy, they asked him the same question, same thing. And all he did was holler out his name, fired a pistol, and that guy died. And this man, he took a pistol, put it around in the chamber, and he put it to my head, my right side. And I could feel the heat of the muzzle. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I said, well, this is it. And all of a sudden, I heard the screeching of some brakes on a truck. And I could hear uh, Chinese. And they told the Korean that there would be no more killing of prisoners of war. The Korean got so mad that he began to pistol whip me. And he pistol whipped me so bad that I'm completely deaf out of this ear. Can't hear a thing. And I fell into the water. Well, the Chinese, they thought I was dead. And they put me in a cage with the other two that were dead. And they hung us up on a big, tall raft so that everybody could see what would happen to you if you didn't cooperate. A couple of days later, I don't know, Chinese guard passing by, he saw me breathing. So they cut down that thing and I fell out. Then just a few days later, we started on a death march. And you had all these prisoners come in, they just jammed into the cave. But invariably every night, somebody would die. If somebody sat in front of you, and it was just a kind of unwritten law, you know, that if any, you could take anything you wanted off of that person and pass it back. I had one fellow, he died right in front of me in, in my arms, and I felt, uh, what did I need from this guy? I needed a coat, you know, so I got the field jacket off him and it was mine. Then we picked him up and passed him over, and by the time he got to the end, he was completely naked. One day I come out of interrogation and I looked up up on the hill there and there was a house up there. So I asked the Chinese guard what's up there and he said, it's a hospital and anybody goes up there will surely die. So I got permission to go up there. And you know who I was looking for? Wally Walker. See, all this time, different prisoner war camps that I was at, I was asking for Wally Walker. I opened the rice doors and you could smell the stench and the smell of death. And I would cross over someone that died and somebody would be pulling me from my jacket and they'd say, have mercy on me, help me, help me. And I'll never forget that, that rings my mind all the time. And I just kept looking around, I was ignoring them. And finally in the corner, an old straw mat, there was a skeleton of a boy, and it was Wally Walker. And the rats were chewing on his flesh. I couldn't stand him, you know. I got Wally and I held him in my arms and. And he looked at me and he said, is that you, Joe? I said, yeah, that's me. And he said, Joe, I don't know whether I'm going to go to heaven or I'm going to go to hell. Can you help me? Well, I told Wally because I didn't know any difference. I told him, we're in hell right now. 
And if we get to heaven, that's good, but we're in hell right now. And I had the rice bowl with sugar right there, and I started plucking, putting it in his mouth and forcing him to eat it, and forcing him to eat it until it started coming out of his mouth. Then he pushed my hands away, and then he died. Died right there in my arms. I picked him up. I carried him outside by a big old tree. You know, I dug a grave with my hands, shallow grave, and I put him in there, covered him up, and I said, surely God knows. Surely God knows. Finally, after several months, a group of soldiers rescued Jose from his prison camp. And I, I saw something. I saw our American flag flying in the breeze. And that made me feel so good inside that whatever I'd done was for my country. Before the conflict, Jose weighed around 160 pounds. When he left Korea, he weighed 95 pounds. He recovered from his wounds and gained peace with his time as a POW slowly by gaining weight, getting married, and finding God. See, this thing about Wally Walker dying and me not being able to tell him, I've always felt that his blood's on my hands because I was never able to respond. But I believe that God and his grace has made a plan for things like this. And uh, I feel in my heart that I'm going to see him again. And when I do that, uh, well, that'll be one of the rejoicing times. Many thanks to Jose for sharing his story. That piece was produced by Stephanie Fu. You are listening to Snap Judgment. And to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.